we're going to try to understand what kind of psychedelics people with chronic headaches are engaging in and kind of what are their routines, patterns of use, et cetera. But what we're trying to do is just establish a positive correlation. I know there's a study out of Yale that's looking at different protocols. They're looking at cluster headaches yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a very relevant issue. My life used to feel like I was stuck on autopilot, trapped in the same thought loops, worries, and fears. Then something major happened. Enter psychedelics. My name is Kat Walsh, and you're listening to Trip On This. Join me as we journey together into these mysterious realms, discussing everything from personal transformation, otherworldly experiences, and practical at-home tips. Welcome, fellow traveler, to the land of limitless possibilities. Welcome back, my friends. Today's episode is with Stephanie Carzone Abrams. Stephanie is a clinical pharmacologist by education. She's a researcher, an educator, and works with brands and organizations who are getting into the wellness and psychedelic space. Steph is also a friend of mine, and we had so much fun on this conversation. We truly talk about a wide range of topics here. So if you are somebody who is just psychedelic curious and wants to hear a little bit about different, very practical things that psychedelics and other plants and herbs and flowers can be used for, this episode is for you. For instance, we talk about how psilocybin can be incredibly helpful for headaches. We talk about how psilocybin can also be incredibly helpful for athletic performance. We talk about other legal psychoactive plants and flowers like blue lotus and kana. What are their practical applications? We talk about herbs and plants for regulating women's hormones. And of course, to keep it in this wide range of topics, we end on talking about, talking about ancient Egypt because stuff is actually half Egyptian. And we really deep dive into also how psychoactive plants showed up in ancient Egyptian time. It's a lot of fun and I hope you enjoy it. But before we get into today's episode, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Mudwater. Now, if you're watching this video, you probably noticed that I'm not holding any product right now. And that's because I have finished all of the Mudwater products that they have already sent me, including their signature cacao rise formula. They sent me a sample of the turmeric. I had an entire can of the matcha and all of them have now been depleted because my body craves it. Now, I'm sure you're wondering what actually is Mudwater? Mudwater is a coffee alternative that's made with a blend of herbs, spices, and functional mushrooms. For instance, for the original rice blend, it comes with cacao, spices, and mushrooms. And not only that, it has masala chai in it. So there is this little microdose of caffeine, right? So you still get a little bit of the kick, but you don't have that rise and crash that you do when you have just coffee. Now, there's a lot of different ways that you can drink it, but I gotta say, I have found a favorite. And it is bougie, folks. Thanks to my friend Patricia, who made me a foamy mud water oat milk latte when I was in Portland. And I was like, how have I not been having it like this? It was the most delicious thing. And truly, I, because I was low-key, uh, maybe sneaking in a couple coffees, but she no longer drinks coffee at all. And because of that, I would get up every morning and be like, can we get one of those foamy oat milk um, mud water lattes? It was so delicious. And then I just found my body just being like, I want that. I feel good on that. And my energy just sustained throughout the day. If you're interested in trying any of the mud water products, head over to mudwater.com and you can use the coupon code TRIPONTHIS for 15% off in your order. 
Again, head over to mudwater.com and use the coupon code TRIPONTHIS for 15% off on your order. And with that, I pass it over to Stephanie Carzone Abrams. You ready, girl? I'm ready. All right. Hi. Stephanie Carzone. We finally did it. I'm so sorry. You guys, it took me like a good hour 15 to set this up, but uh, we got here. We got here. It's so good to have you back on trip on this officially though for a full episode yeah Welcome. i'm really happy to be here with you thanks for having me <laughs> the thing that i'm really excited about particularly with this episode for people to listen to is that you really have a wealth of knowledge in the psychedelic space in so many different areas right so on this episode we're going to be talking a little bit about the science a little bit about culture a little bit about mysticism a little bit about just practices that people could do uh, we're going to get even into some of the ancient traditions all the way to mm-hmm. Egypt. So for people listening, this is going to be an episode that my intention for you is that you leave with just a lot of different pieces of a well-rounded look around the psychedelic space. And I'm just so grateful to you, Steph, to come on and to really share your wisdom. So let's dive in, shall we? Let's do it. Thank all you. All right. Perfect. Well, how about this? Before we get into some of the specifics, can you talk to us a little bit about your path to this space? How did you get here? What what are you up to? Such an interesting path, but I feel great that I've landed here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, All right, I'll go back a little bit. I studied neuropharmacology, uh, clinical pharmacology in general, but I did have an interest in in neurology and I spent some time in neurosciences, um, in intensive care for quite a few years. And my greatest area of interest was traumatic brain injuries, which was fascinating. And I learned a lot. And I'm really glad that I did start there. It somehow life took me on a different, totally different path Mm -hmm. where I ended up in uh, the healthcare industry in a different specialty in cardiology and arrhythmia in medical device, like not even in pharmacology or pharmacy anymore. But I learned so much there. I learned what business and healthcare was about, was business development, operations, strategy, all of that kind of stuff that Mm -hmm. I could now kind of leverage in in my work. But after some time, I think I was just questioning what was next. And I was just looking for something new. I wasn't sure where that was going to be. It took me a while to even move out of that medical device industry. How long was that for you? Well, I I think I started asking myself some questions in like 2021. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. And I think I had been at J&J for five and a half years at that point. So it had been a while, you know, it's like you're looking to make another move. And those questions were happening at the same time as psychedelics had entered the chat here Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. It was a buzz around the west side of L.A. It was a lot of mushrooms, a lot of, you know, different products and on the West Coast, I feel like we're privy to all the new trends in health and wellness or even in medicine. Sure. First, like it just all seems to happen first culturally. Yeah. Yeah. And so I told myself, you know, where yeah. was psychedelics for you though? Like had you, when you were in this, uh, what do I do next? What do I want to do? Like had psychedelics entered the picture for you personally, aside from just the fact that it was more culturally being talked about. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I okay. can tell you about my first trip. Oh my God, talk about <laughs> it. I love this. This is like a throwback. People that have been watching trip on this for a while. I used to just be like, tell me your craziest trip. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring it back. Tell me. Yeah, sure. Um, it was like maybe, you know, less than a year I had moved to, to LA and I had gone to Joshua tree with a group of friends to just hang out. Mm-hmm. And my friend had these mushroom chocolates 
And I was like, I'm just going to have a little piece. But I remember, I, I can't remember if I was the one that was in the front passenger seat or friends. I was in the back, but someone passed me the chocolate bar and I broke off a piece and I looked at what I had in my hand and I did some quick math and I was like, this is three grams. I was like, F it. Oh my God. First time? <laughs> well, it wasn't my first, first oh, okay, time with okay, mushrooms, okay, okay. but I had only done, you know, small amounts. Right. But I was just like, you went in Joshua Tree, right? Right. And I was yeah. like, this is safe <laughs> There's a time. With my great girlfriends, yeah. like, let's just do it. And... It was beautiful and it was awesome and it was a roller coaster of emotion, but it really marked me because it showed me what psilocybin can do. You know, like a lot of people talk about that experience where it's like opening these drawers of memories and experiences, like things you haven't revisited. And it was, it was beyond my control. It was like this one and this one. And like, what about this? And have you thought about this in a couple of years? Cause let me (laughs) remind you. And what were you, when it was like reminding you and you hadn't done it before was there a part of your process where it was just like, is this, this is interesting or why is this coming up? Or where, where was the part of us, like that ego mind going like, what, why is this coming up into my view? Did you understand that, oh, this maybe is coming up to be clear that needs to be seen through a new perspective? Or was it just like, at that point I'm experiencing and there's not a whole lot of thought going on here? No, there was thought and I got like ego checked and that was, it had happened before. Like sometimes cannabis can, you go check you. Uh But this was like um, a memory that it was something that happened that didn't even have any importance or weight. Like it had happened and I never thought back to it. And all of a sudden it was like dug out of my subconscious. It was an interaction with a colleague a while ago. And it's the mushroom told me, this is what you should have done. You didn't do it. And that's why everything else happened this way after that. Really? Yeah. It was really interesting. And it wasn't anything that I had thought about ever again like it was an interaction that was nor positive nor negative wow it it, it was just neutral but then the mushrooms were like no no actually you should have done this and I was like that's a really interesting thing and then I started to dig a little bit as to why that was like looked for answers why why would psilocybin do that how does it do that but yeah a lot of that experience with um, you know, psychedelics or with plant medicines and any kind of little experimentation on my own you know personal journeys mm-hmm. kind of came back to me and I decided to um, kind of leverage that background in, in neuroscience and mm-hmm. pharmacology to see, are there other people like me that are doing this work? But I have to say the way it all came together was this, obviously no coincidences, right? But it was one of those fluke moments. I had flown to Maui with an artist that's on Public Secret, mm-hmm. which is a record label that I, I, I co-own with one of my best friends from mm-hmm. childhood, Max. Um, I'd flown with this artist named Stefan Jacobs to Maui for a show. We were just kind of discovering each other as like future partnership, managerial partnership. And he introduced me to one of his friends, Dave, and we were just talking about mushrooms and he had this like resin and he's like, you should try this. It's amazing. And I was like, you know, I really want to enter this, this space. Like I want to find a career. I want to, you know, I want to explore more. And he goes, I should connect you to my friend, Courtney. And he just connected us. And I have to say that that connection just unrolled the path to my whole life. Really? Yeah, that one connection. How so? She just started to introduce me to people that she thought were interesting for me to talk to. Like, you should talk to the people at the microdosing collective. They're lobbying for regulation for microdose because different doses, different regulation. Maybe you can help them with research. Mm -hmm. So that was my first point of entry. So helping them with research. And then I met this amazing neurologist in Toronto and I'm also Canadian and Mm -hmm. we started doing research together and we did a project on spinal cord injuries and 
it just been a snowball effect, but it all started with that trip to Maui. I mean, I, I think I just, I love that story. And I also find that psychedelics, I think when you decide to intentionally partake on this path, because I think there's the, right, there's two different ways. Like I feel like that somehow <laughs> the mushrooms or something knows that it's like, am I just doing this to get like effed up right now? And I'm young and like, whatever, I'm not there for the path. But when you kind of step in and you're at a point in your life, where you're like, okay, I'm ready for uh, curiosity is now leading the way here. Yes. Lead with like, curiosity. Yes. That's like my tagline. Lead with curiosity. <laughs> like you don't know what's going to happen. Just be open and see. And I, so many people, including myself, and I love hearing this story for you, is just it. there's so many signs and synchronicities that seem to begin for so many people that are on this path. And I don't know if that's, you know, for me, my psychedelics always been that like a tool of, for alignment. Like it tells me real quick when I'm, when something is, when I know something, but it tells me very, very strongly when (laughs) it's really out of alignment on a trip. Do you find that for yourself as well? Like the self-awareness is, is just, yeah. 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 So you brought up a little bit, so you've been doing research now, and this is, this is what I love about having you on is that we could talk about signs and synchronicities, but we can also now really talk about the science and some of the studies that you're doing. When we spoke, you were talking about how psilocybin mushrooms, which is the official name for magic mushrooms for those listening, can be incredibly effective for those with chronic headaches. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing? Yeah. So I'm working on a project currently. We're kind of just setting up, you know, everything that we need to get it started. Um, So we haven't delved in too deep yet, but essentially it's going to be a research survey that's just going to simply poll individuals on their habits and of psychedelic use. And we're going to look at people with chronic headaches. That's different kinds of headaches, but the Mm -hmm. chronic part means 15 or more headaches per month. Oh. For three months. Could you imagine? 15, that's half half a month. Yeah. You're just in pain. That's it. That's it. And it's. I think it's really important because a lot of people suffer from, from chronic headaches. It's very, very common. Or even if it's not 15 a month, like people do have those debilitating migraines that keep them home from work or that mm-hmm. they miss out on their kids' soccer practice. It, it really does um, intervene with their quality yep. of life, right? Yep. And that actually ties in it's relevant because it ties in with your mental health. Like if your quality of life is reduced, like you will suffer from, you know, maybe you will have anxiety about not being present with friends, family, like it it will bring you down because it's exhausting and having pain can lead to depression, you know? So, um, so we're going to just start kind of very general. Um, we're going to try to understand what kind of psychedelics people with chronic headaches are engaging in. Mm-hmm. and kind of what are their routines, patterns of use, et cetera. But what we're trying to do is just establish a positive correlation that there is a reduced number of headaches. Uh-huh. And uh, we're doing this with the microdosing collective. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that there's going to be a mix of a macro and a micro type of protocol okay. based on what other protocols are kind of in existence already. Um, I know there's a study out of Yale that's looking at different protocols. They're looking at cluster headaches yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a very relevant um, issue. Yeah, and I know I, a couple people that just anecdotally take them for 
it, actually, uh, Vanessa was mentioning. I was just thinking about yes, Vanessa. Vanessa, she was, Vanessa telling was telling me, me and she's like, oh, I like it will wake me up in the middle of the night. Like I'll have to go and find psilocybin. Like I know it's the only thing that she's Wait, like, was she not telling us together when we were at Paul's house? I don't think so. She oh. told me this separately when, okay. I, when I saw her. But <laughs> she was telling me about her story. And so she was like, when you start this survey, sign me up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Perfect. And I've actually talked about it a little bit, even on my own podcast. I like mentioned it and I've had just, oh no, I, I, I posted the cluster headaches article about that and I had tons of people also respond and say it has changed like changed everything for me with my headaches like life-saving because for some people they can be so bad so debilitating that people can want to really like not know how to go on because of the headaches are so severe all the time right Right. So that's really cool. Keep us posted I for will. sure yeah. on that. And I know you were mentioning spinal cord. Mm-hmm. So what, what can you tell us a little bit about the research of the findings coming out around spinal cord injuries? So this is a project that I worked on with um, Dr. Evan Lewis. He's mm-hmm. a neurologist and medical director at the Neurology Center of Toronto that is owned by Numinous, which is a psychedelic yeah. company. And essentially we started with Um, kind of just looking at this population of people who have had spinal cord injuries and that we're taking to blogs like Reddit Uh to post about their experiences. And people with spinal cord injury, not only do they have a physical trauma, they usually have an emotional trauma as well. Like how did they get that spinal cord injury in the first place? Mm -hmm. And then how has it impacted their life moving forward? If you have a spinal cord injury at like a higher cervical level, like chances are you're paralyzed from that point Mm -hmm. down. It's totally life altering, altering. Mm-hmm. Um, so we noticed that a lot of people were talking about their experience. They were talking about how they were either using psychedelic, classical psychedelics. Classical psychedelics are usually your psilocybin, LSD, MDMA. They act on the serotonergic system. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a specific receptor that they bond with, which is the 5-HT2A receptor, whether yep. it's like fully or partially, um, And so they were talking about either recreational use or even trying to, you know, work with those medicines in a more therapeutic way. And what was happening is that they were reporting um, tremors, shakes, spasms in their limbs, right? So there's now there's, there's seems to be movement and there seems to be feeling it's very uncomfortable, I have right, to say, right? right? Like right. it's intense and, mm-hmm. it, and it hurts. And they were talking about like, I can't even enjoy this trip because it hurts so much and right. it's so bizarre and it's stressful and it's making my heart race and I'm yes. sweating and I'm yes. hot, you know, yes, like yes, all of these. Yes, yes. So we decided to like dive in deep and try to understand. And this paper actually just got published. Um, Where can people find it? So uh, this is terrible. Um it's called Neuro Reports. I was about to say, I can't remember the name of the journal. Can you imagine? Neuro Reports. It's, a, it's like a, a partnered or sibling journal of the Journal of Neurotrauma. Okay. Um, and so it just got published a couple of weeks ago. So it's going to take maybe oh. another week for it to appear. Congrats. Thank you. I'm really excited. Uh, we essentially just explain how the physical injury in the spine interrupts the regular um, body's way to right. process ser- serotonin, mm-hmm. right? And so it's causing this peripheral serotonin syndrome that is being experienced in the in the limbs and the muscles. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. And we wanted to intervene because a lot of individuals are saying, keep doing it. You're going to walk again. When you have a complete spinal cord injury, chance high chances are that's not going to happen. But we do think that 
this population can really benefit from psychedelic assisted therapy. So the point of this is to find um, how we can help them with right. a specific protocol. We actually just got a grant to do a follow-up study oh, with Numinous. How cool is that? Yes, and um, I'll there's, be collaborating There's on a that. man that I interviewed named Jim Harris. Are you familiar with him? No. Okay, so he's somebody who I feel like I want to put you in touch with because... So I have a podcast. It hasn't come out yet yet with him, but he was paralyzed um, also basically from the neck down. And long story short, did one mushroom trip, things like one leg. He got some healing, but like- Oh, I think I know you're talking about. Yeah. But he was an incomplete spinal cord injury, I think. It was incomplete, yes. That's it. So yeah. Yeah, it was, but but for him, it, oh, there yeah. was no- there was no anything, and what, it was like completely dead on one side of his. I want to say one side of his leg. He had to completely drag it, like completely. Wow. There, there was no, there was no, uh, and it was a long road even to get to any movement. He was quite literally in a bed for six months to a year, um, and but it wasn't until he he somehow a friend of his like got him to a festival and was like, do you want these magic mushrooms? And he was kind of like, I mean, all right. And takes them. And he said for the first time he was able to like, I want to say he was like able to like flex his like butt cheek. And then suddenly like he could actually start to connect the movement through his leg. And long story short, he's walking now. I mean, with a limp, he says like definitely like still with a limp and it's still a struggle, but yeah, he's like, he's, he's cautious, but he's like, it's not, um, it's not like the silver bullet. He's like, but he's also going into a lot of like, he's really putting his story out there and helping with psychedelic research like this to help with granted things. So I will definitely put you guys in touch because I think it's like the fact that there could be actual real hope for people that thought this is going to be my life forever. Wow. Well, there's a mind body connection Mm -hmm. that's just invigorated on psilocybin. Um, You have increased blood flow in certain areas, decreased blood flow in other areas. Like just simply on an emotional level, you've got your insula, which is like emotion and decision-making that is like activated. You have your anterior cingular cortex, which is pain, um, um, focus, attention, motivation that's Mm. being activated. Mm -hmm. And then you have your amygdala, which is in your limbic system, Um, which is being kind of like deactivated through reduced blood flow. And that's your center for fear and self-doubt. If you put all of those, just, just those together, you have like this perfect recipe for, we're going to, I know we're going to talk about it, but Mm -hmm. like flow state and just this, I don't know, like just that alone, I feel like you're really gearing yourself up for some sort of betterment. And what's really cool about magic mushrooms is that it's not, a cure-all, but it seems to help you exactly where you need to be helped. Yes. Which is the magic part, right? It is the magic part, Yeah, we don't want to, like, science explain everything and just reduce it down to one little tiny explanation that is just so simple, that's so reductionist. Yeah. There is a magic mystical part, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. of course, we can understand a lot of it, but there are things that are happening. Like, I think that that concept of that, it helps you where you need to be helped, I think that's that's pure magic. That is pure magic because how? Because there's no ex, there's no right as of right now there's no scientific how does it know? <laughs> how, there's no scientific explanation for that. And and the interesting part of like even the certain memories that come up like you not knowing. I mean this is this probably is a little bit more like woo woo for people, but I just think of like like a karmic cycle, right? And so 
for instance, like however something was handled, like you were mentioning with this person. And instead of, instead of having to like relive like a karmic lesson around something similar like that, again, I feel like it almost is like teaching in real time a moment that you don't, not to have to redo this again. Like it's like bringing in and like, I don't know, just freeing up space. It's putting our attention to things that we could have never thought to do. I mean, that, that, that's the part that like trips me out about it is because it's so not, it's mental. And then it's also not mental because it's putting, it's putting your attention in places that like, trust me, there's been times where I'm like, I don't want to think, I don't want to look at that. I, I didn't want to think about that. Like now you're asking me to do this about that. Oh my God. Like, no, but I know ultimately by following through with it, that it was the gift that I needed. And that again, like you're saying is it just serves it to you. It just serves it up. <laughs> Sometimes it's good. And other times it's like slightly inconvenient. <laughs> and that's the thing about mushrooms is I, you know, and I like say this to people like this is why it's not a silver bullet for everybody or like even with microdosing, weren't we talking about this? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about this because sure. microdosing is not just like I take a microdose and everything's great. It's not like you just take a, like a benzo and then it has the same effect every time for the most part. Can you talk about what your microdosing experiences are in terms of mood? Well, let's get back and talk about microdosing. Let's talk about microdosing. Okay, so we were saying that, sorry, uh, everyone, the camera cut out there. So we're going to get right back into microdosing right back. and talk about the sensitivity aspect because I think that's a really, really good point is yeah. you are going to be very heightened to everything. Right. Not necessarily just everything feels great and da-da-da because it's just, it's just, it's just... Um, you're in it's, tune you're with in whatever... Tune you're in tune with right? right right and there could be like underlying stressful emotions yes um you could be upset by something or it could be positive as well yeah. and you're very in tune with that positive feeling or mm -hmm. that positivity but a microdose is subperceptual it can change day to day it can change based on your cumulative tolerance so if you've been on a protocol you know whether that's every other day or a few days on and a few days off and you've been doing that for a month or so maybe now you're more tolerant and your dose has gone up if you've eaten in the morning, all of these external factors like play into it. Mm -hmm. So it's important to be very in tune. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if you're feeling your microdose, you definitely have to lower it to a point where it's as if you've taken a vitamin in the morning, right? Yeah. It shouldn't keep you from driving or concentrating, or even if your vision is the slightest bit altered, mm -hmm. you've now surpassed your microdose. Yes. Right. Yes. And I know there's a lot of microdoses out there that are you know, 250 milligrams, 0.25. Uh, and I find that quite strong. That's too strong yeah. a microdose for me. And it could be, could be good for someone else, but yeah. I just noticed, you know, there's a lot of microdoses out there that are, are packaging a quote microdose. And it might behoove people that if you do have one of those microdoses to open that capsule and split it in half. Totally. Yeah. You know, I think the biggest challenge also for a lot of, um, companies and brands that are coming out with their own, you know, products that are in the microdosing space. Mm -hmm. um, it's this finding this perfect balance between the capsule size. Uh, so like not trying to pack too much in because then you end up with this massive capsule. Yeah. And then you want to give people like as much product as possible for like a really nice accessible price. So, you know, I think that 
go smaller on the dose and yeah, okay, maybe they'll have to take two capsules, but I'd rather that than just be like, oh, like I love this blend, but like one capsule is too much. Like, right. You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 For sure. And different strains too can totally. impact. Yes. So, and, and that's the other thing is I think a lot of microdosing companies, they should divulge what strains they're using. I agree. It's important to know. I think a lot of times though, what they're not saying is like they're blends. They're blends of no, different mushrooms and they change, you know, but depending true. on what they're harvesting. So I think if they have to say like, it's, they're golden teachers, then they have to always do yeah. golden teachers. And I suspect that having the flexibility to go with what's kind of being harvested or going with the blend, that. but, but I agree because That's part of the game, I guess, you know, like. But yeah. I think, but I think people are going to, you know, the, those brands that, that will say legitimately what it is are going to have a leg up because there's going to be, I know people that want to know every detail. They want to know totally. what they're taking. And because we, like we've talked about taking golden teachers versus enigmas or, you know, penis envies right. oh, are going to be a, harsh for me. Yeah, a very, very different experience because those are just much stronger than say a golden teacher is. That's a really good point that you make. Um, Some of the brands that I work with are now going the trans full transparency route to um, not just like build consumer trust, but it's also part of their marketing strategy. Right. To be like, you know what, we're going to tell you exactly what's in here. And I'm not even just talking about microdosing psilocybin, just like general health and wellness products because the health and wellness product industry, supplement industry, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. There's a lot of BS. The The whole system and regulation around ingredients is not really regulated and standardized. Yeah. So you can make claims and say there's this and that, but it, it might not necessarily be true. Sure. And so people want something that they can trust. So yeah. I think being able to say, this is what we're putting in our supplement and mm-hmm. you can you can check us, you can fact check us, you can even like see our sources on our website. Yes. I think that's great. Yeah. I agree. I fully agree. Let's talk a little bit about women's health and psychedelics, because I know this is something that you personally have had your own journey with and an area that you feel very passionate about. How have psychedelics, or or not even psychedelics, right? Plants, herbs, natural ways to help with our moon cycles, PMS, things of this nature. Can you talk to us about it? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, women, we, we change a lot through life. Our mm-hmm. cycles and our hormonal needs change. We're sometimes balanced one year and, you know, it can change in less than a year sometimes, you know. And so um, what we need is going to is definitely going to change through life. And so I think at one point I was have in my early 20s, I was having this like cyclical acne and it wasn't your typical acne. It was really hard to diagnose. But my doctor said that if I went on a high estrogen birth control pill, it would really just clear it out. Mm-hmm. And it did because that tends to help. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was like a whole bunch of other side effects. Right. It was now like a ton of estrogen. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> right. so I couldn't stay on that forever. And it was never her expectation for me to stay. She told me like, give it six months, let's get you off. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I didn't feel quite right. I all, all, all of a sudden ended up with PMS that I didn't really have before. And it was uncomfortable and painful. It was so much bloating and it was also a lot of emotion. Like Mm -hmm. it was so evident and apparent when I was, when I was PMSing, like they're like, hormone just hormonal yeah, and that moody sucks to just and all feel the, like yeah, out yeah. of control with your body and your yeah, state of yeah, being yeah, yeah. and your state of mind mm-hmm. um i saw a functional medicine specialist and um she told me about this blend of chinese herbs 
I was so skeptical. And that's how I know this wasn't placebo because I went in there being like, this isn't going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, I yeah. don't know. I just didn't think it was going to work because it was so intense. And, but I should have known better because plants are medicine. A lot of the medicines that are, you know, commercially available oh, yeah. come from plants, you Absolutely. know, like it starts with the plant. Oh my God. It's so powerful. Uh, yes. I took plant medicine in school. Like I should have known that. Yes, absolutely. This could work. Anyways, it did work. And it was a blend of, um, Dong Kwai, which is female ginseng, white peony, which is a root, poria, which is a wood eating fungus, ginger, licorice, mint, and some other things. And what they all have in common is that they're anti-inflammatory. So they actually block the proteins that are recruited in an inflammatory process. Those are called cytokines. When there's inflammation, they're overactive. Mm. Um, they also have a diuretic effect. So poria has these uh, terpenes that are called triterpenes, mm -hmm. and uh, it's a diuretic. So that bloating is often water retention, and so that helps alleviate uh -huh. that. And okay. you know, and it's not like you're going to the bathroom to pee like every yeah, five yeah, seconds. Sure, it's sure. not like that at all. Because yeah. um, it's a different. It's just not holding water in exactly. the same way. Yes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then um, it's also antioxidant, which helps uh, protect your cells from, mm -hmm. you know, from damage. And um, yeah, and it also works on your pain receptors as well. And there's a release of endorphins in, in certain cases that also helps with, with pain mitigation. And so, yeah, like barely any bloating, no more cramping, I was also having headaches, Gone. none of that. And that emotional part is just under control. And then I was doing a little bit of research and I was finding that in Eastern medicine, poria and a blend of these, especially the female ginseng is pr prescribed to women who have um, premenopausal symptoms or okay. menopausal symptoms to help mitigate the hot flashes. So it's really, so it's really for just female hormones in general, these yeah. things are, and can people find them at, are they sold? Do they need to go to a Chinese med medicine uh, herbalist to get like a kind of a blend or can they go to Whole Foods or, you know, something yeah. similar around them and at least get a few of these? Are there, what are like the top three? Like if they can't, if there's not a, a, a Chinese herbalist where they can right. get a blend, like what are those top three things that maybe they can either get on Amazon, they can order right. something that's like a real. Right. So I don't order my supplements on Amazon because I don't know what I'm getting. Fair. You know what I mean? Like yes. sometimes it's legit. And like some, one time I got something that was resealed with like a counterfeit inside. So I've learned my lesson. Got it. I'll go Good to, to like an herbalist store or even Sprouts has an amazing selection okay. of, of herbs. But so the top ones are the female ginseng, which is called Dong Kwai, the white peony root, the poria and the ginger. Those okay. four are okay. amazing. Sourcing them individually from like a really good source is important and you can blend them yourself. But in any kind of formulation, ratios and dosages are so important. Okay. So it's a lot of work to do it yourself. The the one that I use, I can, I can send it to you and you can, can like you? link it. Yes, I will definitely. Um, and it's available on Crane Health. Okay. But you often need some sort of like registered dietitian or functional medicine specialist to prescribe it. Even okay. it's not, it's over the counter and you can actually find it. Like you said, like you can find it on Amazon. The problem is it could interact with other things. So it's always great to talk to, to someone, to someone first about this. Okay. because like we just said, like, Plants are powerful Plants and they can powerful. interfere, you know, even food can interfere with your, um, with your prescription medication. Like mm -hmm. grapefruit juice can, can block the, uh, efficacy of uh, cholesterol medication. Who would have thought? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, no, I think it's, yeah. I think it's a powerful, I think it's, it's good to know for people that are out there that have 
been have whether it's debilitating PMS or periods yeah. or their hormone hormones are all out of balance, uh, knowing that there are there are ways of going about it aside from just more chemicals and right. more right. D- different hormones to try right. and offset what's already imbalanced. Right. Um, I would love for you to send the link and I will cool. link it here for everyone as well, just in case. And like Steph is saying, definitely, definitely make sure that you are talking to someone research about if you are taking other things to, to check it out, but very cool. I do believe in Western medicine, like absolutely a hundred percent for some people it works first try great for some Mm -hmm. people it works for a little bit and then it stops working. I think what I'm just trying to say is that everything in life is never one, one size fits all. And so it's nice to know that we can go back to nature and just recruit other tools. Yes. You know, because I've been on hormonal birth control and it's worked and sometimes I've had to change it. And I've, I've seen that pattern of like your body changes through your life, your needs change. And it's the same kind of thing with what you supplement with, like a supplement medicinal or not can be working, you know, one year and then it stops. So just knowing what's in the toolkit is, is key. I I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I love, I love a balanced approach. I I always say like, shout out to antibiotics. You know what I mean? Like, let's talk about that. All right. (laughs) Um, <laughs> just on a very basic when I think of like all the like all the the research of where we've come with surgeries and things like it's it's amazing to me mm-hmm. and like you're saying and we don't have to stop there right. there's there's just so much uh, at our doorstep that we can potentially use for health and well-being yes. it sounds like not just for illness yes. but health and well-being so that we don't get to the point of illness right right preventative medicine mm-hmm. preventative medicine that's the one that I feel like it would be really nice for that to be a, like a big campaign, especially in America, a big campaign. It's around not America's priority for many reasons, but I it's know. absurd. Yeah. I mean, I know. Well, I mean, it would never be if, if you, um, if sick people are a part of your bottom line, we won't go there, let's but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I um, hear you, you know, so let's talk, let's segue now to the culture of psychedelics yeah. and the lifestyle of psychedelics. And specifically about community. So why, why do you feel it's important to have community, to have people that you can talk to, to, yeah, like just not feel alone on the journey when someone does decide to go on their psychedelic journey? Yeah, yeah. I think community is, is key in everything that you do, whether it's like your personal journey, a relationship journey, whether you're starting a business, like it's just applicable across the board. We're back. Here we go, folks. As you can see, we're having a lot of technical difficulties. Wouldn't I say this took an hour and 15 to set up and then my camera stopped working. And so now we got this one beautiful shot where Steph and I are going to be like kind of side-eyeing each other during this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's jump back in. We were talking about community and psychedelics. Yes. The importance of yes. community. Why? Why is it important to have community when you are embarking on your psychedelic journey? Because of the need for support and unity, for safety, for for purpose. I feel like you are on a journey for your self-purpose, but also if you are engaging in psychedelics, unless you're mindlessly engaging in psychedelics, right? There's there's a purpose. There's a reason, whether it's like you're looking for something for yourself or whatever it is. I just feel like having a group around you that supports you on that, on that journey, on that quest, whatever you're embarking on for your own safety as well. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's where the importance lies. And I think that you end up connecting with people who are seeking 
or who are interested in the same things. And you end up finding these people, whether they're friends or family, new friends. And it's not just like a psychedelic journey. It's just like life journey, you know, and it's, you're, you're connecting with people who are like-minded, who see eye to eye with you on certain topics, who enjoy the same things that you enjoy. And I just feel like having a solid support system in anything you do, like I was saying earlier, like it could be on a personal level, but it could also be for a business, like build your, build your community, have people who support and believe in you, who who got your back, people who are going to catch you when you fall, um, and that are going to like help lift you up. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah, to, to add on to that, actually, I, one of the things that I feel like is a little bit of a, maybe like a sleeper in all of these things is that oftentimes when I feel like we embark on our psychedelic journey, we have aha moments, realizations, and there's also sometimes experiences that we might have that are so sometimes so outside of the realm of yeah. quote normal or the world as we knew it or understood it, whether you're having mystical experiences is no longer there. And what happens to us if you are experiencing um, connection with what your experience is of, of God source, the divine angels, beings, right? When, when things like that are happening and do happen quite a bit on larger doses, not for everyone, but it does happen quite a bit. How does that fundamentally change how we go about our life? Because you can never be the same after that. And I think so often, um, gaslighting is a really unfortunate part of just like our society in general, right? The idea that, um, you might have this really beautiful transcendent experience. Somebody has never had that before and they, oh, you're making it up. You're on a drug. You're right, on this. Very you're isolating. On that. Very isolating. So you need, you need people in your corner that are going to hear you out and listen to you and validate, you know, your experience, answer yeah. questions. I know I had a ton of questions and like, yeah, you can take to the internet, but that's not sufficient. And yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. It could be so isolating. Yeah. Um, is that why it, this is a great moment to talk a little bit about Mount Mushmore and what is Mount Mushmore? This is how we actually met. But for those that are listening and watching, what is how, what was your answer to this need for community? Right. Yeah. Mount Mushmore, higher elevations, because we think we can take mushrooms to higher elevations mm-hmm. <laughs> for ourselves <laughs> as well. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend Joey and I, we met in Venice through mutual friends, um, we always had a lot to talk about. We shared a passion for mushrooms, not just psychedelic, but also the culinary, also the functional and the adaptogenic. And a lot of people had questions. You know, it was a trending topic. Uh, some people were asking me questions because I was getting involved in the space because I, I had a background in, in pharmacology. And um, Joey always calls himself a tour guide for mushrooms. He knows a lot of people. He knows yeah. a lot of things, you know, kind of like self-taught um, always has, you know, the answer. If he doesn't have the answer himself, he has a buddy that can answer the question. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we decided, why don't we start a meetup? Um, why don't we start Mm -hmm. a series where people can come together and just grow the conversation? That's how it started. Mm -hmm. And, um, it developed into a dinner series because people bond over food, over a meal. And we thought it was an opportunity to explore the full spectrum of mushrooms. So culinary, functional, and research in psychedelic science. And so we bring in really talented chefs that get creative with 
mushrooms that you won't necessarily find in your grocery store. Mm -hmm. Um, We empower, you know, like local growers and providers and source from them. We put together a really creative menu. There's education about the mushrooms and the food that we're eating. Mm -hmm. And um, we always have a a presenter, subject matter expert, or maybe an entrepreneur that wants to talk about their, their new business or their endeavor. And it's great because it's given people an audience to share. It's yeah. brought together um, other entrepreneurs that want to connect and you know build something or collaborate. And then you've got this amazing meal. And I think it's a nice structure. It's just organic enough. Uh, there's enough programming where a few people feel like they really get something out mm-hmm. of it. And we just celebrated our one-year anniversary in Denver during the MAPS oh, conference. Oh, congratulations. I was there. It was awesome. Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, it's growing. Um, Education is a huge piece. It's something that's really important to me. Mm -hmm. I like to be able to just, I I write and I post on LinkedIn or I've been doing more speaking engagements where I can, you know, talk to people about what I know. And uh, education is such an important part of all of this. If we're going to reach the, uh, this big objective of ours, you know, we're Mm -hmm. all on this mission, then, uh, you know, education is the key. So, we talked about how LA is a bit of a bubble in terms of knowledge mm-hmm. when it comes to mushrooms, yeah. right? And then There's I think the whole it. West Coast, people tend to be pretty well informed, but then there are places around the United States and in Canada and even in the world where people want this information, they don't know where to go for it. Right. And they want the community and they don't know where to go for it. So right, right. the goal is to have not much more communities I would love to see them across the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, bringing education, bringing community and fun, and then you know have people who understand, I guess, like the ethos, and they they could lead their own about much more community meetings. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's also a hub for entrepreneurs as well. It led Joey and I to create the Mycelium Effect, which is our consultancy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. and so we had a lot of people with new brands and initiatives looking for a wide variety of services. I was consulting more on like science operations and research, and he has a whole background in um, e-commerce and finance. And so we decided to just kind of blend our our experiences and work with Mm -hmm. up and coming brands in health and wellness, Mm -hmm. especially plant and like mushroom, functional mushroom brands. And uh, how do you, how do you think people should you know, speaking of this community aspect, I hope that there's yeah, much more in every city as well. But in the meantime, right, for people listening, going like, yeah, I mean, I'd love a, I'd love community, but I'm in a place where like, I have to kind of be in the closet around yeah. my psychedelic use. What would you suggest for those people? You got to find you. I think, I think there's a lot of online community. And I think that, you know, social media has its shadows, but I think there's mm-hmm. some positive pieces to social media Mm -hmm. you can find what you're looking for and I think that more and more people are taking to social media to kind of like broadcast their initiatives yes and so yeah for people who you know don't want to publicly engage or you know put themselves out there I think there's a lot of online community and there's on even like online like webinars and events um people are using LinkedIn right now like a Facebook really yeah I've never seen it so active. It's so interesting. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of webinars and the webinars are leading to, you know, kind of virtual communities and Mm -hmm. Mm in-person communities. Mm -hmm. I think there's a little bit of research. Another thing that I would say is if you're looking locally, if 
people are pretty passionate in, in this field. Yeah. If you go find like a local um, mushroom grower, like just like even like culinary, yeah. Um, they tend to have a community. That's, yeah. You oh, know. that's a great. That's a great. That's a great point. Yeah. I also want to say too, there's a coming out of the psychedelic closet, even if it's too. <laughs> I always say like. You're never going to know until you're also the one willing to yeah. say it, right? And so there is always like an initial scary scariness to oh, that. Oh, I have such a story for that. But there is like, usually you can get an inkling, right? Like there might be like that one friend at work that just, might it's like they you. seem like yeah. maybe, or at least if they said it, you know, it might not be for them, but you, you don't think they'd be like so judgmental. There's an openness about the way that mm -hmm. they feel, even though they've never talked about it. Because so often everybody else is also in the closet about their psychedelic <laughs> use, right? So yeah. in, in a way, the way that we are going to ultimately change stigma, the way that we are going to ultimately change public perception is actually every single one of us listening, watching. It's about the more that we normalize um, what has been life-changing, if it has been, mm -hmm. and if you feel safe, that's actually the way that it becomes more and more acceptable and no longer has to be in the shadows, in the closet, because it could be quite literally life-giving, life-saving, you know, could so full of joy and purpose. And so, yeah, what are you going to say? Well, when we were, there was the um, Psychedelic Science Conference in Denver, mm -hmm. uh, I listened to Reggie Watts and um, Eric Andre and the whole Have a Good Trip uh -huh. studio yeah, yeah. production team. And they were talking about how they're leveraging pop culture mm -hmm. to, yeah. to really bring positive messaging about psychedelics to the masses. And it's yeah. true. It's like that first point of entry is pop culture the tv shows the movies the, the music mm -hmm. and it's and they were even talking about how you know negative depictions of psychedelics in movies can be very damaging or Absolutely. even even if it's not negative but it's just inaccurate they even showed a movie scene about someone who had smoked a joint and then they opened it was like an ice cube movie he opened the cupboard and there was like a talking head and yeah, that, no, does I, no, 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 that does no, not happen. No, no, no. That does not happen. So you're 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 scaring it's to people. one person and they wrote it in. <laughs> you know, like you're you're scaring people away. Yes, yes. Um so not only positive depictions, but also accurate depictions. You know, kids are gonna see it, adults are gonna see it, and it's going to sensitize and normalize yes. to the masses. Yeah. And so that's a really great tool and they're doing great work. Yeah. They're using memes a lot, which I think obviously that yeah. is the, that is the language of the internet is a good meme. You you learn a lot through them and they're doing yeah, they're they're leaning in. I think that's also why like TikTok and platforms like that are important because people want information and it's almost kind of like meeting them where they are and making sure that they get them and not just like getting their hands on whatever and then taking it, having no idea of set and setting and like right. ways of preparing yourself. It's a little bit outside of like the abstinence conversation and it's like, okay, so I, we understand the abstinence conversation like really like doesn't work, right? That doesn't really work whether it's sex or drugs at this, right. for this. And so it's like, okay, well then what's the steps in safety mm -hmm. and like, how do we, you know, not promote it, but also say like, all right, if you're going to be doing this though, how can you do it safely? Yeah. And I think, again, that's where the community aspect comes in, which is like really talking about how these things can be used effectively and how sometimes they can be quite scary if not used well. 
Yeah. And I think also there's an importance around research because I know that we talk about how there is a mystical and magical part, but there is also a lot that is rooted in, in science and research. And we need to also operate in this like construct of society. Right. And so Mm -hmm. the lawmakers and the law changers, they're looking at the hard facts and the research and you know what, if it wasn't there, we'd have a problem, but it is there, you know, like it is there. And so I, I, I've said this before, but I even empower people to do citizen, you know, trials like, uh, Paul Stamets has the, um, the microdosing Mm -hmm. trial and just anyone can go on there and subscribe through the app and track their progress. And it's all valuable data, whether it's in a formal or informal setting, it's, it's helping move the needle and advance the mission. Yeah, absolutely. Let's now bridge. We were talking about science and culture. Let's now start bridging it to the realm of mysticism and ancient wisdom when it comes to these things. What we're seeing right now is this kind of a mishmash right now because on one hand, we've got a lot of the medicalization happening. It's coming through the Western clinical models, um, safety right front and center. And yeah. then we've got but these things aren't new. Okay. So these things are not new to us. Uh, magic mushrooms have been used for thousands of years. Ayahuasca is an ancient lineage. There's things that go back a a long, long time. Can you talk to us? What do you feel the role is of these ancient wisdoms, right? Of these ancient practices when using and working with psychedelic or plant medicine or earth medicines and kind of within this Western construct Like, is there a balance between both? Do we, you know, say like, okay, should we just go the indigenous, you know, ancient wisdom, go with that route? Should we just go clinical? What do you think is the sweet spot? There's no sweet spot. They all need to exist. Mm -hmm. They need to all exist, right? Different needs for different people. There are people that will feel the safest in a medical model, depending on what kind of help they need, Mm -hmm. you know, especially for people who really do need a lot of support with their mental health. Um, Not only that, but that route is going to have FDA approval and there's going to be channels for reimbursement for people who can't afford to spend thousands of dollars on a psilocybin retreat in Jamaica. So Mm -hmm. that model has to exist. Then there are other people who are well and they just want to improve their well-being Mm -hmm. and they want to engage in, you know, a therapy or their own solo practice I feel like there should be, especially for plant medicine, there should be a container for that. Mm -hmm. And then there are others that do really want to delve deep into the history and the sacramental and the ceremonial. And there are people who have been practicing with these medicines for years and years, and it's really part of their heritage and their culture. And that's how they feel connected. There needs to be something for those people as well, you know? And who are we to say like, What's right. Right, exactly. And who are we to say that this plant, you know, it it grows in nature and I understand that it's psychoactive and psychedelic and there 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 there's a preoccupation for safety, of course. Well we have responsibilities to ourselves and to each other. Mm -hmm. But it it comes from nature and especially that it's been in practice with people for thousands and in some cases millions of years. Yes. We cannot Mm -hmm. take that away. You know, we cannot take that away. And um so I I mean, I don't, I don't call me an idealist, but like, I think there is a world where we can all coexist and I think we should be mm -hmm. headed in that direction. And I think we need to appreciate that there are these different pathways of access, Mm -hmm. especially just because as individuals, we need and and crave and desire, want different things, right? Uh, I just so beautifully well said, I couldn't agree more with you that 
room for everyone and because they truly, truly, and the thing is like, it's not just one size fits all, even for the person. Like I have really enjoyed something more ceremonial. And then also I've had my own amazing journeys in my backyard and then a microdose protocol. And then I like to have like a nice little recreational museum style dose when I go dancing, because that too is the way that I, that betters my life and betters my mental health and my joy and my sense of well being. Right. So, you know, all of these different things I think are really, really important. And what I think I'm hearing you saying is, you know, from your vantage point, do you think psychedelics, especially plant, plant, um, natural psychedelics, do you think they should be legal? Yes. Yeah, me too. Great. Okay, cool. <laughs> all right. Glad we said it. Okay, cool. All right. Got, got it? Got it? All right. Got it. But but on that note, again, like this is what I always say, education over regulation. Absolutely. Education, education, education. The more people know, the more responsible they're going to be, but also the more they're going to come into themselves. A lot of these uh, classical psychedelics are heart opening and they connect you not only to yourself but to others like it makes for a healthier society it absolutely does um you are not denying the hardships and challenges of your life you are embracing them and considering them and trying to understand how to be a, a better human being for yourself and those around you yeah it's just like the whole ethos that just and the culture that supports these kinds of medicines you know and absolutely. so it's not dividing it's it's bringing people together and to your point, the recreational stuff, you know, like, of course, there are people that ab- abuse everything, ev- anything, anything, anything can literally be abused, anything. right? Yeah. And <laughs> but I've had moments in recreational settings where I've had deep reflections, like I've just been, you know, like, oh, I'm just like thinking of myself. And I don't necessarily need to be in a doctor's office. Yep. Although that could be helpful. Mm-hmm. So it's just that's really interesting to know. Yeah. yeah. You know? And I've also like had to learn my lessons around Oh yeah. Put, taking too much, not being in the right set and setting, not, okay. It's just all experience. It's uncomfortable. wasn't fun. And it was like just learning at the end yeah. of the day was just learning and always something valuable comes of it, especially when it comes to, you know, if, if I took too much or I wasn't mindfully going into something like, what am I learning from about myself in that experience? Right. And, and what was I trying to prove? What was I, what was my intention around that? Like, just and ultimately I mean I guess on the very on the very basic is like people should if no one's hurting one another should be able to make the decision they want with their own body Absolutely. if you're not breaking a law aside from the arbitrary law if you can't have that mm-hmm. then I, I it, people can drink themselves literally to death yeah so I mean when something is so life-giving and also by the way speaking of alcohol also it psilocybin is showing major major studies that it can actually help with alcoholism completely Mm -hmm. completely for people to reduce it i mean yeah i just think like you're saying education and allowing people to make the best choices for their lives yeah it's this it's your sovereignty Mm -hmm. you know and and just talking about to that point you know right now we're seeing that um these these alternative medicines are going to be available for people who have failed all the other drugs, right? Mm-hmm. Mm, so they have treatment-resistant dr- depression. So they've tried everything under the sun, and now they can try right. ketamine or psilocybin therapy right. or MDMA therapy. I don't think that should be the case. Yeah, absolutely. It not. should, you know, like maybe it's not the first line of indication just yet, but it should be a situation where, hey, you want to choose to try ketamine therapy first, or you want to choose. I know that psilocybin therapy isn't 
you know, legal yet, but there are um, really awesome clinical trials right now. And mm -hmm. in Canada, there is a special acts program where patients are being enrolled if they have um, end-of-life anxiety or if they do have major depressive disorder, and we're going to see it open up to include more people, right? Mm -hmm. But the point is that you should be able to choose your treatment journey. Yes, absolutely. Right. And I think the people that are really being left out of this conversation are the people that just want to better their lives. Absolutely. When, like, wanting to enhance, to feel better about their days, like, that might not have the a diagnosis called depression or anxiety from, from, but can feel better in their life, can feel more aligned, can feel, you know, who can't, who wants to feel like they're living in their highest potential. Yeah. It shouldn't just be for the, right. the ill or yeah. the clinically depressed. Yeah. So I think that's it. There's room for, for everyone. And we should all be on a path to, you know, self-improving constantly and betterment. Um, I think that's a big piece of it, right? Is because psychedelics are so, they're so um, inward facing oftentimes, especially like mushrooms are so, uh, th there's so much self-reflection and self-awareness that happens that it, it inherently forces you to look at yourself. If you've been in a habit or if people have been in a habit of avoiding themselves and distracting themselves, these are tools to help us kind of turn the mic microscope back on ourselves and say like, what are the behaviors that I'm doing that are hurting me ultimately? Mm -hmm. Even if it's not, again, like self-sabotaging behaviors, that's not a clinical, you know, unless it's to an extreme place, but like, I think we're all self-sabotaging to a certain degree and understanding the why and getting, and sometimes mushrooms can be, or ayahuasca and lots of different molecules can be like, well, maybe here's why. Yeah, get out of your own way. Yeah, get out of your own <laughs> way. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to finish talking about Egypt. Oh, You're half Egyptian. Yes. And we're talking about mysticism and even psychedelics and psychedelic plants and even fungi during ancient Egypt. Can you just tell us everything that we need to know about uh, Egypt right now and why oh everybody seems to be going to Egypt? Has, that, has anybody, anybody noticed? It's, it's whole own episode, but <laughs> man. So yes, I'm half Egyptian, half Greek. Um, both my parents are actually born in Egypt. So oh, wow. I feel very connected yeah. to my culture and to the country. And, you know, my parents really integrated everything about our ethnicity into our upbringing from like food to expressions, everything really. So when I went there for the first time, it, it was like a very interesting feeling because it's not only like, oh, this is where I'm from and this is where my family's from, but it's this place is so ancient, mm -hmm. the pillar of civilization. And I always have a tendency when I go to old ancient places to just think about who walked here before me. Yeah. I always do that. I'm always just like spooked, you know? Yeah, I'm yeah, just, yeah. Wow. And um, yeah, there's, there's a long standing history in ancient Egypt with plant medicine practices. I mean, these were people that were extremely enlightened. If you look at just... Mm -hmm what they were able to build and create and even their social construct, you know, like very women empowered and forward yes. thinking, yes, you know, and they didn't, they didn't want to shut out the things that they didn't understand. They, they really looked outside themselves to mm -hmm. understand like, how does nature, you know, play into this life and how do we connect with nature? And there was so much respect for powers that were greater than them. And I just think that, I, I just think like what an amazing way of, of thinking and outlook on life. And 
I think what's, sorry. I'm sorry. Where was the shift, do you think, from ancient Egypt to kind of Egypt today? I think that, um, so ancient Egypt, you know, women would really claim their power. That was really interesting. Of course, there were, there were royal families where women were kind of just like inheriting this power. Same mm-hmm. with, with mm-hmm. men in, in that time. But there was a very interesting concept where a woman could just claim her power. And if she had a following, well, that's awesome. Like, there you go. Mm-hmm. There she was. And she earned that respect herself. And I think the shift started to happen with ancient Greece there, they had a little bit of that philosophy and ancient Greece and ancient Egypt were very much tied in. There were a lot of Greeks in Egypt, you know, they collaborated together, but those social structures and legal structures were a little bit different. Mm-hmm. They started to change. And the moment that Christianity, you know, became popular and rose, it took away from divinity in the gods and in nature, right? It became more mm-hmm. like a one-track mind, yep. one god, right? It wasn't the paganism mm-hmm. that we that we know that ancient Egyptians practiced. And so I think the rise of Christianity really shifted mm. everything, not just like the, 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 the beliefs in the divine and the ceremonial practices, but also how government was structured and... God was the was the law and we saw people ruling by divine right right they would right. channel that they were the, a chosen one to to govern and rule so mm-hmm. it's a different perspective um instead of us worshiping there was a worship but there was also like a power grab yes um and then you know there were a lot of shifts in, in Egypt um there was a shift in religion it it, it became an islamic country mm-hmm. and you know their beliefs are just very much like set in stone. And so there isn't room for, for more if there's, there isn't room for a lot of like questioning. And I don't want to make blanket statements, but the country as a whole, you know, shifted. It's a, it's a, it's a little less liberal now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But what is interesting is that people are very much into ancient Egyptian practices. And I have never witnessed the West being so into it. Yeah. Um, I've heard about, we talked, I think we talked about this, yeah. the priestess of Hathor and how, so she's amazing because music, uh, the arts, um, I mean, there were so many things that she was like celebrated for, but there, were, I would think I was telling you, like there were multiple priestesses that worshiped the goddess. Yes. And there was, mm-hmm. I think there was like Nefertari, who was a, mm-hmm. a particular priestess that, um, she was very powerful. I think she was married to one of the Ramses. But she's she's interesting because she was a patron of the arts, but she was also very like scientifically educated and she was just such a well-rounded woman, very powerful woman, very beautiful. I think they she was like the most beautiful apparently. Oh, really? That's what they said. <laughs> like she was the most beautiful and she died in like 1250 BC. And it's just amazing because she was buried right by the pyramids. And her tomb was found. They found her body. Like, it's just crazy. Like, it's just gnarly just to think that all of that is just right there. It's just right there. And, and it's it, right there, you know? And, 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 and it's, it's so, so well documented. Like, they know so much. I know. You know, cannabis and, came out of Egypt and they know that, you know? Did you did know that? really? Yes. No. Yes, they found ancient records of cannabis was so huge. And so that's such an interesting In cult. ancient Egypt? Yes. I yes. did not know that. Yes. Cannabis and blue lotus, it was used to talk to the divine. It would it would it would um, promote enlightenment and introspection and it would put people in these states of trances, which sure. is you know. And 
yeah, just in, in light about mushrooms. So I haven't like read a ton about psilocybin. I've, I've actually looked and the, the most that I have found is cannabis and blue water lily, also known as blue lotus. And, um, I've seen a little bit about, op- I've quite a bit about opium actually, mm-hmm. which was very much used medically, even, you know, like more yeah, modern sure, day. Sure, of course. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, it's interesting because this, the history is so solid in plant medicine, yet you look at Egypt now and like, you can't bring cannabis into Egypt now. Are you it's kidding wild. me? It's wild. And I even uh, reached out to an Egyptian woman who works with Blue Lotus. And I, and I noticed that her name was Egyptian. And so I was like, this is amazing. I'm going to ask her about Egyptian Blue Lotus. And she said, I have tried so hard to source it out of Egypt, but it's no one's really working with it. I think there's like just a few, you know, it's just, it's not very popular. So everyone's sourcing it from Thailand, which is great. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know like i want my egyptian yeah blue lotus <laughs> is it because it's not growing there or is there is there a, can they is there a fear of working with it because you can't like is there a legality around blue lotus right now in egypt i don't really know exactly i do know that just blue lotus is a flower right yes yes, yes okay it's, a, it's it's blue <laughs> <laughs> um and there's like different iterations of it you know like some people they, they talk about water lily um, and it's a little bit different, but I think it's a mix of things. I think it's a cultural thing. I think that it's also when people are looking to create a business around something that is like new or unknown, there could be a little bit of like uh, skepticism mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. reluctancy. And I also just think that, you know, there's a lot of instability in that part of the world and it, it could be just hard yeah. to, to do like an import export with, with these yeah. things, even though they're ancient. So I don't know the exact answer to that question, but they, uh, you know, what's interesting also about Egypt and why I feel like there's a really big pull is, I mean, like we've talked, I have like a, a one of the, the ancient Egyptian God Horus is yes. a guide that I personally work with. I won't go into that longer story, but, um, but not just that I've actually even had journeys personally, and I know I'm not alone because I've talked to people about this, um, where I have been like in ancient Egypt in like a vision as like a blue being in, you know, and again, people listening like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. In that psychedelic visionary state, right? Where it's just- Have you done past life regression therapy before? I have. So I I have. I didn't even know that was like a thing thing. Like I, I knew that past life's worth and I'm sure people can like oh, tap yeah. in, but I didn't know it was like a thing thing. And it's come up a lot in, in the past few months where people have told me like, I do, I work in that space and I do it. And other people have told me their experiences and how fascinating. A lot of people with Egypt, a lot of people, but, but I think because it's, Egypt, an, it's an ancient yes. civilization and was a thriving civilization and so much knowledge and wisdom and also even that unlocking of the potentiality, right, for people of like, wait, this wasn't, this isn't it. This wasn't my only time, like my roller coaster that I was, you know, not the same personality, not the same person, but the same animating spark, like on that soul level was, yeah, the consciousness, that invisible form, that spark is, is so powerful that it can project multiple lives. Who knows how many? I mean, I have done it. It's fascinating. Interestingly enough, I did not visit Egypt in, in my past lives. I, but for me, uh, there's already a knowing for me that it's like, I ha- it's an unusual pull. 
I even have unusual pulls to crocodiles and crocodiles are, were considered ancient gods at that time. I was like, why do I, why am I into crocodiles? Like they were all up like, in the Nile. Yeah. All up in the <laughs> Nile. They, they would actually for, this is, I'm sure people know this, but they, they were, there is a, also a deity called Sobek. I believe that was a, an, a crocodile, a crocodile half man God. And he was kind of like the God of fertility. And basically like they would mummify crocodiles also like as basically as like a lot of yeah animals yeah yeah cats for sure for sure so interesting i i'm obsessed i i really can't wait to go have you been to egypt yes yes and i'm hoping we get to go again soon yeah matt's never been my husband and i would love for him to totally yeah it's a it's a special place it's very beautiful egyptians are so patriotic and they love their country and rightfully so um yeah and i mean in ancient greece too i mean you have eleusis Mm-hmm. It was a hub for enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Um, all these philosophers used to go there to get enlightened, to get lit. To get lit. I mean, isn't that really like, or like Thoth, Thoth is Hermes? Like yeah. it's the yeah. same. That's so much of even the, even the Trinity. I was, I forgot what I was listening to, but talking about like how the original Holy Trinity was actually back in the ancient Egyptian side was, was Osiris, Isis, and Horus as like the first Trinity and then like how Trinities have showed up in multiple power of three religions. Yeah. And, and with different names and different faces, mm-hmm. but the archetypes are all there and all the same. Right. Yeah. So, um, Steph, this was so much fun. So sorry about the technical difficulties, but I know that people were like, damn girl, you have so much information, just a wealth of knowledge. And I really hope that people came away with, yeah, just learning so much more about psychedelics. So thank you so much. Thank you. I hope to see people at Mount Mushmore. Yeah, where can and, people um, find you online? Where can they, yeah, yes. see you at your events? Tell us everything. Okay, um, so Mount Mushmore is at Mount Mushmore, and it's M-T Mushmore, like M-U-S-H-M-O-R-E. Mm-hmm. Um, you can follow along. That's where we post all of our event schedules. Um, and then if you reach out to us there, either Joey and I would respond if ever you're interested in engaging with the mycelium effect because you have a brand that's in health and wellness, um, in plant medicine space or, you know, functional adaptogenic, we're here to support you and you can find us there as well. Um, grow at mountmushmore.com is our email address and, uh, You'll type all of that out, right? I will definitely. Everything, if, everything will be in the copy. If you want to connect with me, um, my LinkedIn is probably the easiest way for for professional inquiries. I do consult in the psychedelic space as well, especially with health and wellness clinics that are looking to build psychedelic practices, training programs, um, or whatever you need, research. And so that's Stephanie Carzone Abrams on LinkedIn, and you can message me there. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much again for, for this conversation. Me. And for everyone, as always, trip on this.